Welcome to Shh, It's the Library, the podcast. The podcast is based on the premise that you're on a Northern Rail train to nowhere and you're not going to get home quickly. So to keep yourself entertained, we're going to offer you the journey with three books that have had some sort of influence on you and a bit of music. You can choose one album for a bit of light relief. Just remember... This is a journey. It feels like you're on the Trans-Siberian Express to Wigan and there aren't any pies at the end. Hi, I'm Kieran. And I'm James. And James, tell me, what is your first book for your journey? So the first book I'm going to pick today is something a bit left field for me. Um, it's a sporting autobiography and I generally don't read sporting autobiographies, especially footballers' autobiographies, because I feel like they're not the most interesting unless you're interested in that particular team. So, for example, I wouldn't be interested in reading Steven Gerrard's autobiography because I'm not a Liverpool fan. Um, so the book I've chosen is called Back from the Brink. Um, so it's about an Irish footballer, former footballer called Paul McGrath. So it's probably the best footballer we've ever produced. Um, But the book is less about his footballing career as opposed to his his traumatic upbringing. So just to give a bit of of context, so Paul was was born in in 1960s Ireland. Um, So the reason why I've chosen this book is Paul McGrath is kind of a unique character in Irish football history and actual Irish history in general. Um, So Paul grew up in 1960s Ireland, he's um he's a mixed race man. Um, his father was from Nigeria. His mother was a proper Dublin woman. Unfortunately, when they were growing up, the father left. So Paul was kind of grew up in inner city Dublin, being a mixed race child, which was incredibly difficult because back in those days, Ireland was nowhere near as diverse as it is now. Um, so he faced a lot of racial issues growing up. So are there parallels with Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy? Yeah, so when I do think of Paul McGrath, I do think of Phil Linnett, and I'm sure they had, they've literally, their upbringings are very, very similar. Um, but the difference with Paul, I guess, is his talent was in football, Phil was in music. Um, so unlike other traditional football autobiographies, it's more about his struggle, I guess his, his struggle growing up in a country that was quite insular um, and he actually was in an orphanage for a time as well so his upbringing was really harsh really tough and one of the issues which he probably still faces is he's um is he's an alcoholic so the way he kind of dealt with the early trauma in his in his childhood was to start drinking and 
there's some incredible stories in that book which I found really hard to read. Um, so he was, a, you know, he played for Man United. He was, you know, very successful, but he was, um, he had this debilitating shyness. So, I mean, like like some of us people drink alcohol to excess to kind of get around those issues. But for Paul, it became a massive issue. Like some of the stories, like he would, he'd have a few cans in his car before going training. Um, he actually played against Alan Shearer when he was at Blackburn and Paul was pissed. And he relays a story in the book where he says if he spoke to Alan Shearer today, he would have been able to smell the booze off his breath. And I find it staggering that a professional footballer can play a professional match while drunk. And apparently, he got the better of him that day. But then that's shades of Tony Adams, isn't it? It's shades of Tony Adams, and he grew up in that era, so that was early to mid-90s, where the culture was right. You, you, play, you play hard and you drink hard. Yeah, you had the Tuesday club at Arsenal at the time, didn't you? So, And I think toward the end of his career at United, that's when Alex Ferguson came in and he was trying to um, get rid of that drinking culture and unfortunately Paul went on the way out. But now, if you speak to an Aston Villa fan, they call him God. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's a bit of a legend, but for me, the, the unique aspect of the book is it's not a, it wasn't about the football, it was more about... His struggles with his shyness, um, I guess the celebrity lifestyle, and how he still struggles with alcohol, actually. Um, so yeah, it was it's probably one of the best books, period, that I've read. It sounds very like Tony Adams' Addicted, uh, yeah. which is also a cracking read. Um, I mean, okay, I've got the Arsenal bias there, but... Yeah. Um, I, th- I think seeing how people cope with things like alcohol in their life um it is heartrending, but it's also really interesting yeah it makes them more human i think and i think it's, it's i don't want to say it's a uniquely irish trait but i feel like alcohol can have quite a negative impact on our culture i mean there is lots of positives but i mean it, yes there are there are elements of irish culture that are kind of dominated by alcohol and how it's kind of intrinsic to our to our culture but but as you can see you can have a really negative impact like if you look at George Best is probably your, your best example similar ish story to the Paul McGrath um, I think people say imagine if you know Georgie Best didn't embrace his lavish lifestyle and just concentrated on the football he probably would have been I don't know we can't I mean it's hard to predict now but he probably would have been a lot better similar Norman Whiteside at United as well Irish had bad injuries, which kind of led him down a different path. But do you not think that sometimes part of these people as a footballer is the devilment in them? Mm, I think so. I think definitely Georgie Best. I mean, he was, what, the the fifth Beatle, wasn't he, back in the day? Um, But I think going back to Paul, I don't think he embraced that celebrity lifestyle. It was something Mm. that was really, like, cumbersome to him. And unfortunately... He found kind of booze as like this clutch. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend anyone who's interested not in just football, but in addiction, in, I would say it's kind of a social history of Ireland, especially in the 50s and 60s, because as I said earlier, there wasn't that many um, mixed race people. 
And if they were, they would have been frowned upon, I would say. And especially growing up in the inner city, must have been a tough place to grow up. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know, have you looked at um, Alex Ferguson's autobiography to get another view on it? I haven't read Fergie's one. Um, Oh, well, it's on the shelves, James, so, you know, you'll have to pick it up. Right. I've read Roy Keane's autobiography, and I'm a bit of a Keane fanatic, so I think my loyalties lay with Roy Keane, but yeah, the Fergie one would be very good, actually. I mean, one of the things that I found interesting, I, I listened to Arsene Wenger's autobiography, and it's interesting how you get differing views on similar things from differing people. Mm. So when he touched on Tony Adams, I found that interesting. Because um, Wenger came in just, at, well, I guess, at the end of Adams' career, didn't he? He lengthened Adams' career considerably. Um, like he was only a good thing for Tony Adams, I think. Because um, he probably gave up the booze at that stage, did he? Or he probably gave him an ultimatum <sighs> right if he wanted to still play. I think he, I think he changed the culture of the club. They moved away from the booze. Uh, he took away their Mars bars. Um, no Mars bars. No Mars bars. Um, made them eat well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting stuff. He brought the continental approach to England, I guess. Yeah. Um, but there we are. So I'm now going to ask you where you stand on digital technology and reading and, and other things. I guess with my librarian hat on, um, I would say you have to embrace the, the digital, you have to embrace the electronic. Um, and it's something I deal with on a day-to-day basis, actually. Um so if you're not from a, a library background, you probably aren't aware of just the amount of electronic resources that we have. Um, and that's not just ebooks, but obviously we do subscribe to a lot of e-journals. And anyone listening, you need to get your open Athens password. So just a little plug for that one. Um, but outside of the library, I would say I have more of an affiliation and affection for the physical book. Um, I guess in a way, I wouldn't say I fetishise the physical book because that sounds a bit, a bit odd. But um, for me, there's no better feeling than buying a new book, opening it up and kind of, I don't want to say I smell the pages, but like I take in the, the glue from the pages. And then similarly, like one of my favourite things is to go into a charity shop, look at some of the classics and maybe pick up a book for a quid. And I think for me, it's probably the the journey of kind of serendipity going into even just a bookstore and just having a browse around um so i think i'm probably a bit more old school than than kieran might be um but yeah every day of the week it's going to be the physical book um i had a kindle before and i just didn't really use it um but i can also see at the other side we do have to embrace the, the digital and it's interesting because I do a lot of photography um, I know I do a lot of digital photography um, but I'm particularly interested in an analog form called lamography where you take photos with really cheap plastic cameras with horrible lenses um, and the reason I quite like that is it slows you down you don't take 
a hundred shots where one will do. Um, and sometimes you forget to wind the film on, so you get a double exposure and you get all sorts of accidents happening, and that's quite interesting. So I think there's a place for both digital and analogue in the world. I guess it's more authentic the way you would take those photos as well. I don't think it's a question of authenticity. I think it's... In that you can't edit it until it's to your liking. It's like, right, this is the first photo. This will have to do. Oh, I think all photography is edited. The part, part of the creative process is selecting the image. Um, so you're editing from, from the start. Um, but I think the analogue world, it just slows you down. I mean, there is nothing better than wandering into a coffee shop and opening a physical book mm. um, and just reading it with a cup of coffee, just relaxing. Um, it really gives you a sense of place, I think. I think so. And I'm going to do a bit of a plug for anyone that lives in South Manchester. There's an amazing shop in sale. Um, it's literally called Get Free Books. Uh, so you can go in there, take maybe three books at a time. But when I first heard about the place, I thought, right, the books here aren't going to be very good. But when I went in, the collection is amazing. So anyone who's interested in reading, get down to sale and get some free books. Um, and they do have a really good children's section as well. So if you want to bring the kids there as well, that's also a really good place to go. So that's my little plug. So, James, I guess we should move on to your second book choice. Uh, so my second book choice, I'm going to move away from non-fiction and I'm going to go into some fiction today. Um, so the second book I'm going to choose is called Machines Like Me um, by Ian McEwan. Um, so just as a caveat, Ian McEwan is one of my favourite authors. He kind of writes in a really simplistic manner, but some of the themes are quite complex. Um, so Machines Like Me, I guess... It's science fiction, but it's also historical fiction. So essentially, it's set in 1982 in an England where uh, England has lost the Falkland War and Maggie Thatcher's kind of hold on power is quite tenuous. Um, and it's set in an age where it's similar today where, in, where the internet is as advanced as it is today, the same with social media and also AI. Um, so the protagonist in the story is a bit of a joker, a bit of, um, a, bit of a bluffer. Um, so he kind of works on the stock market and stuff. And the beginning of the book starts where he gets a big inheritance. And there's these two new androids that have been put on the market and they're called Adam and Eve. So you can get a male and you can get a female. Um, but because the technology is so advanced, the androids are essentially like, I guess you could say they're like humans. And funnily enough, it's set in 1982, so the same year that do androids dream of electric sheep. So um, I guess people would be more familiar with um, Blade, Blade Runner. So Blade Runner was based off, off do androids dream of electric sheep. And See, that reminds me of Sheep Farming in Barnet by Toya, but still. <laughs> so it's, I think to give people an image, if they've seen that movie, that's the kind of level um, that the androids are at. Um, so throughout the novel, uh, the protagonist lives with Adam 
and without giving away too much of the plot, um, he becomes involved with this, this young lady who's doing a PhD and doing some research. And this strange love triangle develops between the male, the female, and the robot character. And I guess the themes in it are, I guess, how far can technology go? Um, because this robot cannot lie, essentially. And at the same time, he's like a walking internet, so he's got inform information at the, the click of a click of a keyboard, essentially. Um, and it blurs the lines between human and artificial intelligence because the protagonist feels a little bit stupid in front of the robot because they try to have these intellectual discussions and the android always comes out on top because obviously he's got instant access to information. Um, there's also another key character in the novel and it's Alan Turing. Mm -hmm. So I think Alan Turing died in the 60s, maybe 62, 63. Um, but he was, in, in this book in particular, he was one of the forerunners for the androids. Mm -hmm. And the main protagonist in the movie actually meets Alan Turing and they've got some really interesting conversations about if androids can like develop feelings, if they can develop love, I guess, for another sentient being. And I really love that blurring of the lines because, I mean, we can even look at today how far AI has developed and I guess there's kind of similar allusions to like online dating and, and things like that so it's um well, i suppose in nhs terms you could compare it to um the top hole review if i think about a bit of gray lit <laughs> that also looks into that sort of ai future for the nhs um so yeah I'd, I'd honestly recommend this book for anyone i guess interested in in a different in a different historical perspective anyone interested in sci-fi but i definitely would kind of say that it's it's a very easy read actually I find his prose just kind of flows naturally so there's no like he doesn't try to be too clever that's interesting because I quite like that sort of dystopian alternate history but I did find um, Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle quite a difficult read right okay um, I watched the TV series and I didn't manage to read the book I mean it's alright but it, it it took a while mm. It wasn't one that you, you pick up and you just read. Okay. Um, but the only thing is, I think we're kind of, if sometimes it feels like we're living in a dystopian society at the moment. So dystopian novels used to be my favorite, but then the times we're living in just kind of makes it a little bit too close to the bone. Um, because I mean, reading is a form of escapism, but you know, we are living in a, yeah, an interesting world at the moment, so. Yeah. Well, there's that old proverb, isn't there? Make you live in interesting times. Yeah, that's definitely a, a true, true proverb. So I guess moving you on from your second book, do you have any early memories of reading? Yeah, so there was old books in my house. Um, so my dad is a massive reader. Um, so I'd say I get that passion from him. Um, he'd predominantly read non-fiction, you know, sprinklings of fiction in there. Um, same goes with my mum. She was always reading at home, probably more fiction than non-fiction. Um, and I guess the first books I remember reading 
And this is how I got into history, was I started reading the Horrible History series. Um, I think it was like the Horrible Romans or something was one of the first books I read. And that just instantly drew me into, into history and developed that fascination. Um, so I seem to remember going to the public library to get these Horrible History books. Um, I guess that's where the passion developed from. Um, I mean, that's quite cool. I mean, I do think that there is something about um, historians and horrible bits of the past. Yeah, it was, it was an approachable way to history. There was a lot, lot of humour in it. Um, and yeah, I think I started to collect, they used to do magazines as well. So I used to like save up money and buy them weekly or monthly, I think. Um, but I also think there's a theme developing here. I mean, in the two podcasts we've done so far. There's always books around. Yeah, there is always books around. Um, and I do have a kind of, not a funny story, but um, I remember my dad was clearing out his, his old house in, in East Cork in the countryside. And he found this, I don't want to say an ancient book, but an antiquarian book. So it's probably written in the early 1900s. Um, but within the book, there was a letter in there. So it was written in mirror writing. So it was written mm -hmm. backwards. So then I was like, I wonder what's written on that. So I put it up to the mirror. So it turns out it was my father's granduncle he fought in the First World War. And it was actually a love letter to someone from back home. And I was like, I can't believe I'm finding this. This is like something you read in a book or seeing a movie or seeing a TV series. But that's so cool. Isn't it? It's just those little things that can, it gives you that personal connection, even though obviously I've never met this person, but yeah, that was quite cool. Okay, so James, what is your third book? So my third book today is going to be American Gods, and it's written by Neil Gaiman. Now, Neil Gaiman would be the librarian's favourite author, I would argue. Um, Neil's got a very famous quote that we like to that we like to repeat quite a bit. Um, so Neil has said that Google can give you a hundred thousand answers, whereas a librarian can give you the the right one. Um, and that's a quote we do like to, to advertise quite a bit, don't we? We do, but we're a little bit sceptical about some of it. <laughs> well, I think there is some truth in what he says in that even in our daily jobs, like we do literature searches and look through databases and as opposed to just Googling everything. So it does take a, a modicum of scepticism, as you say, and critical thinking. Um, right, so the book itself, the way I would describe it is it's a kind of blend of genres. So there's elements of fantasy in it, there's elements of mythology, and there's also elements of Americana. And the way he creates the narrative, um, America itself is kind of like a character. Um, so when I was reading it, I could imagine myself driving, I can't drive, but I can imagine myself driving on Route 66 through you know America and Somehow Neil manages to to really kind of to show it off in in the novel um, because the novel itself is kind of a history of America as well. So I think he really does capture that. Um, so I guess the, the basic premise of the book 
is that um, it follows a character named Shadow who's just been released from prison and he meets this kind of shady, mysterious character in the bus station when he's returning home. And this shady character tries to recruit him to be his bodyguard. And Shadow's initially like, right, I don't know who this fella is, so I'm just gonna walk away. So then he gets on the bus and this guy's there again. So then it turns out that this guy is actually an old god. So the old god being Odin. Um, so when I'm saying that out loud, it sounds quite ridiculous, but it's a fantasy novel. Um, but it's not too outlandish. And throughout the course of the novel, it transpires that Shadow is stuck in between a battle between the old gods, which I would I would say are European gods, and then they're battling the new gods in America. So the new gods in America would be technology, the media, uh, commerce, um, commercialization as well. Um, and I, I found that quite powerful in that the way America was founded, they didn't have obviously the same amount of lore or mythology that we would have in Europe. And the battle is actually between people believing the old gods and people embracing the new gods. Um, and I found that a really interesting concept. Um, I mean, there's echoes of Terry Pratchett's um, small gods where deities' size and importance uh, depends on the number of people that believe in them. Uh, and Gaiman's obviously worked with um, Terry Pratchett on Good Omens, uh, which I will lend you. Yeah, I'll definitely read it. Um, well, I think it's quite interesting in that mythology itself and belief in these old gods, for example, um, just isn't really <coughs> isn't really present in in America. But I would definitely recommend recommend this book to anyone who might be a bit skeptical of fantasy novels. Um, I think it's quite an, uh, a good gateway actually um, because it's kind of dirty, it's kind of gritty, interspersed with these elements of ancient mythology and fantasy and it's just a, it's just a fascinating read actually and it's a page turner which never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. So I guess Moving on from um, your third book, we're going to come to the, the we'll come to the killer question, which is you've got to pick an album to go on your journey on Northern Rail with. So uh, what are you picking? So I think this is a bit of an unfair question in that it would be actually impossible for me just to pick one of my favourite albums I bring with me. It would realistically it probably have to be five. Um, but for the purpose of the podcast, um, I'm going to choose one album. And I've been making a conscious effort recently to listen to more contemporary music um, because a lot of my music taste is probably stuck in the 60s and 70s. Um, so I'm going to pick an album by Tom Mish and Yusuf Days, and it's called Some Kind of Music. Now, these two lads are probably two of the biggest um, players in the London neo-jazz scene. Um, so it's a, initially started as an underground movement, but now it's getting a bit more popular. 
and essentially this this new jazz scene incorporates so many different genres um, so you get lots of soul uh, funk hip-hop grime and they they somehow manage to blend it all together and it just sounds amazing that's what I think anyway does it suffer from the traditional modern jazz problem of being a collection of notes looking for a tune I don't think so and I actually think this album would dissipate any worries you would have in that it's a lot more structured than you would think um, and there's a lot of melody because when you listen to a lot of jazz it can be a bit of a challenge to get into whereas I would say this kind of breaks down your barriers or your boundaries and it's incredibly accessible so we're not in Sun Ra territory we're not there yet and like Tom Mish himself is a multi-instrumentalist um, he initially started just producing tracks in his bedroom which I think is fairly common for musicians and artists these days um, so he initially just started um, mixing and producing old hip-hop tracks and I think he took a lot of inspiration from Jay Dilla who's like the, the OG producer um, and the album itself, the, the, the main single is Night Rider and I just love the intro um, because Yusuf Days is an incredible drummer. He's, I'd argue he's a virtuoso in himself in that he can play blues, he can play rock music, he can play jazz and I think playing jazz drumming is incredibly difficult but he does it in, in a fairly seamless way. Um, and I tend to get quite obsessive about music so probably have played Knight Rider maybe four times a day for the past six months which my girlfriend isn't too happy about um, so yeah that's just how I how I kind of engage with my music never be afraid to play something several times but I think we were saying before or I was saying that there is potential that I could ruin the song and I have done that for other songs from other artists in the past but thankfully, I don't think I've done that yet with Tom Mish. Okay, so, never let it be said that we're not led by our listeners. Dawn from Pure Innovation said, you need to add a question about what's your favourite lyric. So, what is your favourite lyric, James? So, in the act of continuity, my favourite lyric and the song itself has been covered so many times. Um, so for me, when I listen to a song, I essentially listen for the music. So what I mean by that, I listen to the, the drums, the guitar and the bass. And I don't purposely seek out the lyrics. Um, but there is one lyric that has really spoken to me and it's, I, I will never forget the lines. So it's by Lou Reed and it's actually the last line in a perfect day and if anyone has listened to Lurie before he's got a very powerful voice um, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a he's got a singer's voice but he's kind of got a gravelly authentic voice um, so the lyric is repeated five times at the end of the song and I think it's quite powerful um, so it starts you're going to reap just what you sow and I think it's a very powerful, very powerful sentence in that there's many interpretations you can take from it. Um, I guess the way I would interpret it is, you know, there is consequences to your actions. Um, 
and you see a lot of these uh, really cringy motivational quotes on Instagram and this is literally the, the polar opposite of that actually because um, I feel like Lou Reed probably lived an interesting, dangerous life um, and even the song A Perfect Day can be interpreted in so many different ways but like the way I would interpret it and what I've read about the song from what Lurita says, it's his perfect day. It, back in those days was a, a heroin trip. Um, so take that as you will. Um, and it's just an amazing song and I couldn't think of a better way to end it actually. So I think we'll end on that note. Just remember you'll reap just what you sow. There you go. Great way to end it. So there we are, farewell. All right. Thank you.